Thank you for tuning in to Splat Attack. This episode, Brett and I will be reviewing The Tomorrow People, The Culix Experiment. If you are watching on YouTube, please hit the like button and subscribe. If you are listening on a podcast app, please leave us a review. These simple actions on your part help other Tomorrow People fans find our content. Speaking of our content, if you enjoy it, please subscribe to our Patreon. We have bonus episodes, live streams, early access, and more. Go to patreon.com slash splatattack. Now grab your fly swatters and get ready for the Culex experiment. It's telekinetic. It's telepathic. It's television of a new dimension. Whatever this thing is, it's big. It's the Tomorrow People, the first sci-fi series from the First Kids Network. And next Saturday, it's the start of a totally new adventure. The Culex Experiment. A science project gone bad. A scientist gone mad. <laughs> and four kids doing everything in their power to stop them. The Tomorrow People, teleporting to your TV. Next Saturday at 6, 5 Central, only on Nick. Welcome, Slimesters, to Splat Attack, a 90s podcast that dives into our slime filled past. I'm your evil mad scientist, Brett. <laughs> and I'm your mosquito phobic teleporter, Alex. And Brett! Yes. How do we get back to Merry Old England today? Well, for those who may remember, I went deep into the cellar door demon door from the Tale of the Dark music <laughs> at the end of our previous Versus episode. And it turns out that dark void deep inside led into Dr. Kulex's mansion laboratory. Who knew? And we, we need to tread very carefully because there's a lot of dangerous things going on here. Yeah, I know. Crazy bioengineered mosquitoes. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> bickering twins, uh, <laughs> cockneyed inspectors. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on here. That's, I've got a lot to say about that uh, cockney inspector. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but uh, before we before we jump the gun here, uh, I just want to say, <laughs> I just want to say, if you haven't checked out our previous miniseries review for the Tomorrow Pio, go check out our origin story on episode 23 when Kristen Smith, who plays Adam on the show, joined us. Uh, that was a lot of fun to uh, talk with him about it. Yeah, that was that was fun. Um, like I had said in our previous uh, Tomorrow People episode, this is all very, very new to me. Uh, so I really enjoyed the first series, the origin story, a lot. So going into the Culex experiment, I, my, my expectations were in the, I hope to enjoy this area. And, and I was not disappointed. This, this was uh, very, very good for... A number of reasons, some intentional, some not intentional, <laughs> but we'll get to that in a bit. But this is going to be a fun journey, so let's do this. All righty. Well, we're not going to belabor any anything anymore. Let's just jump right into the miniseries review because we have quite a lot of ground to cover uh, on the way to Dr. Culex's lab. So the miniseries info is as follows. The Culex experiment aired January 4th, 1994 to February 1st, 1994. And we should note that we are recording this episode one day before the 29th anniversary of this miniseries. So, my, has it been a long time since then. 
The writers are Lee Pressman and Grant Cathro, and the directors are Viv Albertine and Alan Horrocks. And the starring cast is, of course, Christian Smith, who plays Adam, Christian Tessier, who plays Megabyte, Naomi Harris, who plays Amy, uh, Kevin, who's, I forgot, uh, I think it's Adam Pierce? Yes. Yeah, Adam Pierce. Uh, the great Gene Marsh, who plays Dr. Culex, Jeff Harding, who plays General Damon, and the twins, who are played by Lisa and Tessa Vale. Yes, they are real twins. I mean, <laughs> look at them. How can you not tell that these are twins? Yeah, Alex is the missing link. He's the triplet they never knew. <laughs> <laughs> just a slightly different shade of hairstyle. Yeah, you just need to be wearing purple and a black jumpsuit and you'll yeah. fit right in. <laughs> Yes, Dr. Uh, Culex. Yes, Dr. Culex. So, so starting off with part one, we open the episode with a steady pan across a blue-tinted cave adorned with large greenish-yellow cocoons and a giant glass tube akin to a blender. The atmosphere is dreary and ominous, accented by a drone of bug buzzing. We land on a woman watching a four-panel screen configuration of a foggy forest, intently waiting for a figure to appear on screen. We cut to a man in a lab coat frantically running away in panic. The same drone from before is so loud and piercing, the man has to cover his ears. He just can't stand it. The lab coat man continues running off screen. Cut to a middle-aged woman who's known as Aunt Ruth in this series, with mousy brown short hair trying to talk with Kevin, who is preoccupied playing the beta version of Sonic 2. <laughs> she asks him, weren't you supposed to meet Kevin at the train station at 6pm? To which Kevin absentmindedly responds, yeah, okay even though he is clearly going to be late if he doesn't leave right now. Kevin snaps out of his trance, then hops on his bike to blaze through a country road on the way to the local train station. Cut back to the mysterious woman looking at screens. She becomes irritated when the boy intercepts the lab coat man, as if she was waiting for the results of an experiment to unfold. Kevin flips off his bike and lands hard on his head behind a wooden fence. Just then, Megabyte senses something is wrong and picks up on Kevin. Adam also senses it from the beach mothership we've seen previously in the origin story. Just then, the lab coat man is pricked by a mosquito on his neck and collapses on the gravel road. Two masked assailants quickly motor in to pick him up and carry him away. Crossfade to the face of the woman in the strange cavern with cocoons as she instructs the assailants. The boy on the bike. He's seen too much. Get him. Well, what do you think about those uh, opening scenes, Alex? Okay, so the bad out of the way first sure. uh, because I do very, very much enjoy this series. Uh, I enjoyed the first one. I enjoyed this one. I enjoyed this one more than I enjoyed the origin story. Uh, but it, I mean, it's got its flaws, mm -hmm. which is to be expected. And one of the big things that I had issues with on uh, the, the origin story was the acting on certain actors Adam mm. Pierce as Kevin being the main one. It, it, it just felt wooden. I can read people's minds. I've always been able to do it. When I was little, I could hear people talking, even when they weren't moving their lips. And when I got older, the voices got louder. And now these dreams, the ones with Lisa, now they come every night. Megabyte, I'm scared. What's happening to me? The fact that the series opened with him, I'm going, oh, no. It, <laughs> The, the writing for this better be really good. This The story better be fun, because that's what hooked me for the last one. I don't want to put up with another five episodes of Kevin. Right. And then Aunt Ruth showed up, or Aunt Ruth, depending on where you're from, and she's not much better. 
Kevin Wilson. I'm his aunt. Oh, yes. I got here as fast as I could. What's happening? Is he all right? Typical Brit British old lady. <laughs> Where, whereas Kevin feels so wooden. She felt like community theater. Uh, mm -hmm. Like she, she's really trying, but it's just not there. But uh, but she's you can tell she's kind of having fun with it. But this the, the, the skill is not there. But uh, I did enjoy watching her performance because every once in a while, because she's trying, it would come off comedic. Whereas Kevin was just boring, but we'll get to the more comedic stuff with uh, with with Aunt Ruth later. Um, so I was not I was not keen to to get in with Kevin. Uh, I did enjoy the opening. Uh, I did like the uh, <laughs> oh no we'll we'll get to that in a minute uh, the, the mosquitoes because yeah. uh, I've got I've got some things with the mosquitoes, but uh, I did like this felt like the beginning of Wild Wild West the movie the mm. the, the terrible Will Smith movie uh, because it had the scientist who was running away who was being chased by the disc that's going to cut his head off uh, that's essentially what happened here a scientist was getting away and I do want to say that I think the comedy was better written this time around than the comedy was for the first uh, series. Because even the... Uh... I thought you were meeting Megabyte at the station. Not so six, aren't we? Uh-huh. It's 25 to 7. Yeah, okay. What? Like, the timing was really... was a lot better this time. And that was my... one of my problems with uh, series one was the timing for the jokes was just a little too delayed because comedy is timing you got to be quick right and i think they did a much better job this time around uh at least in this very first joke that you saw in the series so immediately the writing i, I was like okay this is better and i also like that i don't have to get reintroduced to all these characters because we've already seen these so i'm not having to learn all of them again and the fact that they already have a rapport that as soon as one of them has an issue the others are going what what and then they can just jump right into the action so i like that but I, I enjoyed the cold open. I thought it was a good uh, little teaser. I agree. It creates an air of mystery right from the get-go, and uh, it makes you wonder what's going on with this uh, scientist guy because you typically don't see people running in lab coats out in the middle of uh, Mother Nature. Uh, well, I, I'm just going to keep it short and sweet. I enjoyed the opening. I like the mysteriousness of it and how we don't quite see the, the mad scientist doctor yet, but we see hints of her. Um, and it gives us like a teaser of what's to come uh, with with the plot and how the characters are all going to converge uh, later in the story. So, so far, it's so good to me. So moving on with the plot of part one, Kevin arrives at the train station, but is too freaked out to properly greet Megabyte. He dashes into a phone booth to notify the police of the encounter he had on the country road. While Megabyte walks over to a Kit Kat dispenser to get a snack, a rather large, frightening mosquito attacks Kevin knocking him out instantly. Megabyte shoes away the masked assailants who try to kidnap Kevin, but they get away on their motorcycle with a sidecar. Note the license plate, GF8915, for later. Adam teleports to their location once the assailants disappear. Both Adam and Megabyte try to wake Kevin out of his coma, but to no avail. They each then place their palms on Kevin's temple to try and communicate with him psychically. Fortunately, no response. Cut to St. Mary's Hospital, where Aunt Ruth comes to visit Kevin and enter an African-British teenage girl carrying a wrapped bouquet of flowers in the hallway. She tells Ruth uh, how familiar she seems, despite never meeting. Ruth is led away by a doctor needing her attention. 
The girl carrying flowers replies, You'll be alright. In the end. Hinting that she may have a connection to the Tomorrow People with her intuition. So what do you think about these following scenes, Alex? Uh, I like them. I like them very, very well. Um, <laughs> my One of my biggest issues is the effects for the mosquito. Mm -hmm. uh, if you've not seen the show, uh, the show is not well known for having, you know, the best effects. I mean, even Secret World of Alex Mack had better effects whenever she's transforming from one form to the other and the lasers and all that different stuff. And this is kind of an effects heavy show. And I think a lot of the budget went to the sets, uh, especially Dr. Kulix's set later. It looks really good. Oh, yeah. Um and uh, so they did some pyrotechnics and some I mean, some of the effects in this are really good, especially for the time, especially for when they're trying to communicate telepathically and things like that. that a lot of things they could do practically, but the mosquitoes, I don't know what, I don't know what they were doing uh, in, in the editing for this, uh, because yes, they don't look like they're there. Uh, that they, they are a practical element that they had filmed and were moving around. It didn't look like some horrible CGI character that you'd get from Sci-Fi Channel in the 2000s. It, it looks like a practical effect over top of a green screen, and then they just incorporated it in, in the shot. At least that's what it looks to me like. Um, but he, he's supposed to get stung and or bit in the neck. And, but it never goes to his neck. Uh, it, it flies around him, and then he faints. Oh, I've been bit! But it never comes near his neck. Uh, it's just, it's just one. It's not like it's a swarm of them. Yeah. And uh, and that's every single time somebody gets bit by this thing. It happens with the scientist. It happens with Kevin, and then any character who takes place after that has this happen to him, never comes near their neck. Uh, I don't know why it's the neck. Yeah, I would imagine something this deadly, which we get to later, it, it could just be anywhere and it would affect them in a different time span. At least I would imagine that would be the case. But mm -hmm. uh, that is probably my biggest pet peeve with the episodes, with, with this series, is the effects of the mosquito. Uh, and in particular, because this entire series revolves around these things so you, you want it to look decent at, at the very least you want it to look like it's on the person when they get bit yeah and then and then go away uh, i can get past the flying uh constantly that doesn't look really like it's there okay i can get past that but at least get it in the right place whatever it's mm -hmm. supposed to bite the person yeah, I think it would have helped if they had a couple of extreme close-ups of even stock footage of a mosquito penetrating human skin. It doesn't even matter what part of the body it is, just to kind of make that connection so it's not like, okay, when is this you know, fake green screen <coughs> mosquito going to land on this kid? Because it seems really awkward to watch any, any of these characters who are affected by the mosquitoes to just swat of air when we know they're just trying to figure out where they're going to put the effect. Yes, fully agreed. But the rest of it's pretty good. The rest was uh, I, good. I like the setup in the hospital. I like how we are uh, gracefully introduced to our newest character, Amy, uh, who is going to be expanded upon as we go through this. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not going to spoil too much because I'm very eager to. <laughs> I do want to say, 
uh, and we'll talk about it a little more though, but the scientist who gets bit, that goes nowhere the rest of the show. Uh, we never see what happens to that scientist anywhere else it, in the show. It bugs me so much. And ah. Yes, pun intended. <laughs> uh, like, why? Why him? How is he connected to Dr. Culex? Like, what did he do to get bit by this? Why didn't he have more mosquitoes, you know, uh, released on him? It, it, yeah, it was such a great opening, but it's just falls flat after a few moments once you realize okay the only time we're going to see this again is in each sub subsequent part recap and you would think that the scientist has a team of scientists who are working in the laboratory and then you have these two uh who are the main henchmen uh for later in the series which all that makes sense but whenever you get to see her laboratory it's just these three it's it's the two henchmen and the main scientist not this other one who was bit somewhere because i would imagine if that was the case he probably tucked tail and left to warn somebody about this danger okay i get that why did it take you so long uh why hasn't anyone else done this before why have you been helping her i mean there's a lot of questions and he gets stung and he's out of the show the, he's gone. He, they, I, I guess she put him in a shredder or a. <laughs> yeah, know. took him straight to the morgue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. that there's a few times like that where it's like you've got a great setup and then no payoff. But I get that he's he's knocked out. And then of course by the end, of, I mean there's there's a, there's a series three. I know these characters are going to come back at least at least a, some of them. They're not going to end the season on a downer. Um, they'll at least. Because in my mind, going into this opener, I'm imagining, okay, they'll at least solve this problem. Uh, they, they might go the supernatural route. They, they fix this problem, but they create a bigger one, and that'll be the next one. Uh, at least that's, you know, I, I don't know how British TV works. But they've at least got to address this. So they've got to find some kind of a cure. And then we'll see that scientist at the end. And maybe he'll give a little backstory as to, oh, yes, this is why I did. Nope, he's not even there. Yeah, spoilers, he doesn't come back, but we do see another Doctor quite often, so I, I wish they just made more of an attempt to connect him uh, to some somebody, anybody else, any plot device in, in this miniseries, but oh well. Well, uh, I guess we can elaborate a little bit more when we do our ratings for this uh, miniseries. Mm -hmm. So, moving on, uh, a police inspector with a striking resemblance to J.K. Simmons enters the I hospital. the same thing! Yes! Just like with slightly different hair. I'll tell you what happened. Your poor little chum came flying off his bike and cracked his skull. That's what happened. Spider-Man, hero or menace? Exclusive Daily Bugle photos. Menace? He was protecting that armor. I'll tell you what, Atticus. You take the pictures, I'll make up the headlines, okay? All right? That okay with you? Yes, sir. Goody. Uh, he, he interrogates Adam and Megabyte, misinterpreting their story as, quote-unquote, two aliens from a flying saucer tried to kidnap their friend Kevin. The inspector releases Adam and Megabyte with no leads or development from their strange story. We then see Aunt Ruth, Adam, and Megabyte join Kevin in his hospital room. The doctor proclaims he's never seen anything like this coma before. Uh, cut to the teenage girl with the flower bouquet from before. Turns out her name is Amy, and she came uh, to visit her mother, who's rather fussy and talkative. Amy suddenly gets a vision of Kevin on his bike, causing her great panic as if she is feeling exactly what Kevin felt when he had his accident, including swatting the large mosquito. Amy rushes away, terrified. 
Cut back to the group observing Kevin. The doctor claims he should be med medically dead, but isn't. Before the doctor can leave the room, Amy walks in telling the others Kevin has been bitten on his neck by something evil. The doctor examines the puncture marks, claiming it's unlike anything he's seen. Aunt Ruth asks how Amy knows Kevin's name. We then crossfade to a catacomb-like area where Adam and Megabyte confirm Amy to be a tomorrow person based on her unique telepathic abilities. Amy's scared because she doesn't belong and doesn't understand why she has these visions. Adam continues to explain what tomorrow people are like, but before Adam can convince Amy to join them, Megabyte mentions they should take her back to their spaceship. Amy is appalled by the far-out idea and flat-out leaves. Just as Amy re-enters the hospital to see her mother, two red-haired women wearing matching green jumpsuits hastily push a stretcher through the door. Break for discussion. <laughs> uh, I, I do need to note this before you share your thoughts is that this scene definitely has tones of X, uh, the X-Files pilot uh, from the somber sci-fi tone to the mosquito bites and also a little bit mix of uh, I think season one or season two episode called Darkness Falls where it has like deadly fireflies that wrap people in co cocoons and kill them in the forest I was really really happy with it's, this might be a terrible thing to say, but I was so happy when Kevin was bit because he was <laughs> he was out the rest of the series, and I was like, ah, oh good, I don't have to put up with this acting, this this wooden acting. I got Aunt Ruth, and it's uh, it's slight. It's, it's I think the producers uh, answered your prayers and many other people who poo pooed the first one, or yeah. at least his role in it. But in uh, any time you replace Kevin Pierce with Naomi Harris, you're doing something right. Yeah. Uh, Naomi Harris is very good. Uh, there's a couple of times when her acting is a little... It, it's the complete opposite. It's a little over the top. But it's usually in an area when she's trying to react to something that's not there. And she's still a child actor at the time. But uh, she, she did a very good job. Uh, I really like the dynamic between Adam and Megabyte. Uh, we didn't really get to see that explored very much in in series one because it was mostly Megabyte and Kevin. And then Adam kind of leads a couple of them, uh, but he doesn't really get much time with Megabyte. This one, Megabyte is his, his um, sense of humor is in full force. And then Adam is the nice, cool headed uh, conscious, I guess you could say. Uh, and it was a really fun dynamic. I, I really enjoyed watching these two together. They were so fun. Uh, case in point was um, the interrogation scene whenever Megabyte is trying to explain what's happened and J.K. Simmons isn't believing anything that he's <laughs> saying and Adam is standing there going, Your little friend was being kidnapped, was it? By two aliens out of a flying saucer. They weren't aliens. I never said that. He never actually said that they were aliens. All right, men in spacesuits. Like spacesuits. Protective clothing. Oh, this is a joke. Look, he's only telling you what happened. He's doing really, really good. And Megabyte isn't. I, what he's telling these guys is not that extremely far fetched either. Um, I think the only thing that is far fetched within their reality is. How they found out and that's what's bothering him the actual act uh is there is sound judgment here go, go you should inspect this 
and uh, I really don't care for the inspector in the series. I, I don't care for him at all because uh, he does not do his job. And I was afraid that this was going to be another show of the adults are not listening to the kids and the kids are, are giving decent advice. Uh, there was far less of that, actually. Um, which I was Thank really happy. <laughs> uh, starting with the uh, the the other doctor, whenever they had approached him and he was looking into this and the puncture wounds, he was genuinely listening to them. And uh, we'll actually get on the inspector's case later. The almost every other adult in the show listens to the Tomorrow People, which I was really really thankful for. Um, just and the inspector, we'll get more on him when it gets closer to the finale. But he just he's nothing but uh time filler in this episode yeah. and he's very inept and i just uh, i don't like this guy it would be one thing if he was trying to do his genuinely trying to do his job and just kept hitting these unexplainable events and gets frustrated and wants to know from them but they won't tell him because it's a safety re i would get that they don't even do that it's just nope i'm not looking into it you, you this is stupid i'm not looking into it you wasted my time hey, come on dude yeah, he doesn't even try. I hate him so much, but thankfully we don't get too, too much of him on screen. He's just kind of there to uh, act as a roadblock for the Tomorrow People to overcome. Yeah. Um, so that's that's pretty much him. Ex Inspector Platt is his name. Ah, okay. Yeah. He'll, he'll be J.K. Simmons the whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> so after Aunt Ruth briefly talks with the inspector, she bids her nephew goodnight and leaves. Pan to the twins shoving an unconscious doctor to the floor. Meanwhile, Amy listens to more of her mother's complaining, and once again, her telepathic anxiety is triggered as we see the twins approach Kevin to kidnap him. Amy joins Adam and Megabyte at Kevin's hospital room, but Kevin is missing and Dr. Poole is knocked out on the hospital bed. The boys teleport out of the room to block the entrance so the twins cannot escape with Kevin's comatose body. Amy is stunned by the sight of her new friends teleporting. She runs outside, but is nearly run over by the same motorcycle and sidecar from before. The group reconvenes at the reception area to come up with a plan. We cut to Inspector Platt on the phone, talking to his wife as he prepares to leave the station for dinner, but then is suddenly called back to the hospital. A recovered Dr. Poole demands from Inspector Platt why someone was not guarding Kevin since his life is in danger. The inspector suspects the kids have a lead for his latest development. We cut to the hospital lounge where the teenagers teleport Amy to the Pacific Island mothership and give her the tour. Aunt Ruth stays behind telling the inspector, Excuse me, you haven't seen those kids, have you? They just popped out. So uh, what do you think about these scenes, Alex? I really like... They can tell Aunt Ruth who they are. Why can't they tell the inspector who they are? And, and at least that will alleviate a lot of his well this doesn't make any sense type things uh, which has been the whole thing they can tell aunt ruth they can't tell him come on is that, uh, come on but uh, i do like that uh amy and aunt ruth are so quick to just be on board with this entire thing uh you don't get a whole episode or two episodes of amy having to relearn all of her uh, abilities and their abilities like you had to do in the original series we're we're doing this big story here so keep up you, you gotta you gotta jump on board right now and she does and i like that uh i i do appreciate the fact that for a moment 
she wasn't on board. She, Even though she's got these abilities, it's still a little too much for her, and she bails. But she comes right back after all of this had just happened. And um, again, I like the dynamic between Megabyte and Adam, where Adam is slowly trying to get her to accept everything, and Megabyte just dive for right in. Let's take her to the spaceship. The spaceship? Well, yeah. I mean, once you've seen the spaceship... Hit. Thanks, Megabyte. Yeah. That's just wonderful. I was trying to break it to her gently, you know, one thing at a time. Yeah, it's a fun dynamic. I like seeing them uh, banter like that. And I think Adam has definitely matured more into a, a leader role this time around because after they've established everything, uh, he feels like the one to take responsibility since all the stuff that he's encountered in Origin Story, you know, saving Kevin's life and, um, you know, battling Gloria, the, the t female Terminator and all that stuff. <laughs> I will say I miss Adam's long hair this series. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But the the short hair makes him the, look a little older, a little more uh, respectable, I guess. But I do miss the rebel, cool looking long hair. I just I just love long hair. Yeah, yeah. He he did look like a surfer dude and fit the scenery for origin story. <laughs> he did. He did. Back at the mothership, Amy is overjoyed by the sense of comfort she feels in the Tomorrow People headquarters, calling it just like home. We jump back to the police station where Inspector Platt campaign complains to the kids aren't telling him the whole story and pivots to interrogate the doctor. Dr. Poole describes the kidnappers as being two women with straight, dark, reddish-brown hair, medium build, pale complexion, and green eyes. <laughs> the inspector appears baffled by the doctor's description. <laughs> the doctor leaves and the inspector crumples his notepad paper in frustration. Back at the Pacific Island mothership, Adam, Amy, and Megabyte do a psychic mind meld so the others can see Kevin's flashback channels for Amy. We see Kevin's journey through the entire episode so far in strobing scenes leading up to a massive brown mosquito flying towards us on the screen. Amy freaks out, screaming Kevin's name. Adam and Megabyte restrain her. End part one. So uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on the final scenes of part one and just part one in general so far? Uh, <laughs> uh, the uh, thing that I'm laughing about is uh, the doctor's description. Uh, the description itself is not the funny part. The funny part is the fact that he said that he had a very undetailed description because he just caught a corner and caught a vision of them out of the corner of his eye as he's passing out. Okay, that makes sense. And then just to say, it was two women. Okay, medium build. Okay, red hair. Okay. And then gives more detail, and then gave more detail, and gave more detail. I'm like, oh no, you're not, you are no longer on broad description. You have completely described these to a T, and the fact that you've also said they're twins. You, no, you saw them. It wasn't just a yeah. brief glimpse. And the fact that, again, uh, J.K. Simmons was not having it because, <laughs> oh, heaven forbid, there are twins in this world. Twins! Twins! But I did, I did like the episode. Uh, I liked the dynamic between the, the, the three main leads. Uh, I liked how the story was building. Uh, I liked, because this is all exposition. Mm -hmm. And I really liked all of this. I like where it's starting. I, I, I know where it's going uh, because you've got the bug, th uh, the mosquitoes. You, you can tell where the plot is at least going. But that's okay. You, 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 you should have a general idea. And the only reason that I know it is because I've seen stories like this many times uh, back in, when, when was this, 93? 93, 94? 94. 94, yeah. Good year. 
uh, I I hadn't really seen these kind of shows before, so uh, this would have been <clears throat> this would have been all new to me, and it would have been interesting to see this. Uh, still is interesting, even it's just a, a Nickelodeon take on it. But I like it. I like these characters. I like they took out Kevin and put in Amy. I like that the main characters get along so well. The performances are really good. Uh, these two are super creepy, uh, as they <laughs> should be. Uh, just my main fault is that I just don't care for the way they handled getting bit and the inspector being inept. But that's everything else is really, really well done. On point. There's really not much for me to add to that. Um, I, I, I'm i not quite sure how Amy compares to Lisa because unfortunately we don't see Lisa uh, this time around or mm -hmm. actually for the rest of the series. It's unexplained why. Chances are Kristen Ariza just did other acting projects after Origin Story. But uh, I, I really like how she naturally uh, gets used to Adam and Megabyte despite you know some hesitation and the, the, the crazy claims about being tied to aliens. Uh, I, I, the Inspector Platt stuff, I could I can do without of it. Um, I'm not really sure what to put in its place. Maybe some more development with um, the lab coat guy from the beginning. Maybe he used to be a lackey with Dr. Kulix, but escaped once he found out what her nefarious plan was, and she wanted to kill him so that he wouldn't leak information to the government. So that would have been more interesting to see and really you know kick things off with a bang. Uh, but as it is right now, it's it's serviceable. I'm I'm not. Um, upset or disappointed at all it's it's still a solid start to the second miniseries I, I would say that is a very good uh, substitute but I have another substitute that I don't want to get into until later in the series but because uh, I would divide all the do doctor or inspector plant scenes between two other things that are already okay. existent well, one that's not existent which is what you were just said the other one is already existent but doesn't come in until later okay so Let's uh, jump into part two, shall we? After a quick recap of part one, which we will repeat and expand for each subsequent part of the miniseries, we get a refresher on Adam, a Amy, and Megabyte mind-melding to recount Kevin's events leading to his kidnapping. Uh, for anyone who's watching these episodes at home, you can skip the first three minutes and 24 seconds of this part. Because <laughs> I, I counted for each one, like, okay, let's go, get on with it. Yep. Uh, um, the boys calm Amy down once their mind-meld is broken. Megabyte and Adam wonder how they can track down these mysterious kidnappers. The three teleport back to the hospital to barrage Inspector Platt with questions regarding Kevin's disappearance. One by one, they are interrogated by the official in an office to get the story straight. Megabyte pleads to take a break, but Inspector Platt demands that they're not stopping until the story makes sense. The inspector then asks what the connection is between all the kids. Megabyte retaliates with a series of quips. Megabyte tells Inspector Platt to stay out of it, but then the authority figure doubles down with a threat to arrest the group if they get in the way of the investigation. The next morning, we see Adam, Megabyte, Amy, and Ruth leave the hospital, wondering where to head next. Ruth offers to serve breakfast to the exhausted group at her place. We then cut to a young girl who we'll actually meet later in the miniseries and in another miniseries arc, playing fetch with her small black labradoodle. The young girl with the ponytail looks for her dog, Bonnie, in the bush after she throws a stick for her to fetch, but finds her lying down frantically breathing. Meanwhile, at Ruth's rural abode, the group eats some oatmeal while Ruth explains she became a vet because she dislikes most people and prefers the company of animals instead. Amy is hung up on the motorcycle that tried to run her over during Kevin's kidnapping at the hospital last night. 
Adam gets a spark of inspiration and immediately teleports the trio back to their mothership at the Pacific shore. Ruth walks in with an apple and rabbit in hand, perplexed where her new friends went. So what do you think about the first couple scenes of part two? I like it, uh, which I think is going to be a, a generic thing I would be saying <laughs> most of this. I, I do like it. I like where this whole thing this whole thing is going. Like I said at the beginning, I like this series more than I like the first one. And I like the first one. Um, could have skipped the whole interrogation scene and the fact that he just, we only saw him interrogate Megabyte. And uh, it's it's just, a, it's a loop. Uh the whole scene it can be boiled down to answer my questions i don't want to here i'm gonna ask a question no i don't want to and that's it it's just that over and over okay you're getting nowhere with this um but i do like ruth i do like the, the way that she's written she's very motherly to these kids mm -hmm. and um will come over to the house get some porridge get some rest and uh, i liked that i like how welcoming she is i like the vet uh it's her job plays into the story later, which I think is really good. Um, <laughs> uh, at first, I was going, "What are they doing with this little kid uh, out of nowhere? This makes this, this does not make any sense." Uh, yeah, it does. Oh, yeah. uh, it it just it was such an, a a a big jarring thing because now we've gone from characters that we know to oh, new person, dog. I'm a dog, you're a dog, everybody do the dog, bet you're gonna do the dog all day long. And thankfully we didn't see the, the dog get bit, it was an off-camera thing. Yeah. Okay. Good. Which, yeah, yeah, okay. I get it. It's it's a good setup. It's all good setup, it's gonna pay out later. Definitely. Yeah, I'm not gonna spoil anything, because, you know, we're gonna cover all five of these miniseries eventually on the podcast, because it's just a great show. Um, but in a later one this this character will appear again and have a more elevated role so be on the lookout for that once we get there uh moving on adam suggests the three do a mind merge to recall the incident and scan for any clues as to who the kidnappers were amy is unsure but adam reassures her it's natural once you get used to it like a hidden power waiting to be unlocked by the right key the three hold their palms up and a series of slow motion images revealed the license plate of the motorcycle we saw at both the hospital and the countryside, GF8915. The group heads to the local police station urging Inspector Platt to do a computer search on the license plate. Naturally, the closed-minded authority figure thinks he's, you know, thinks they're playing a prank on him again since they did not reveal this info to him last night during their interrogation. Amy explains she mind-merged with the other two, not real realizing how unbelievable her story sounds to the inspector. Before Inspector Platt leaves, Megabyte rushes behind the counter to input the license plate number into his computer, which spits out the address of an A. Dreffries who lives nearby. Cut to the kids and the inspector arriving at a gorgeous, majestic brick mansion in the countryside surrounded by manicured shrubs. Two twins wearing purple turtlenecks greet the party inside to a large dining room. Yep. Alex's twins. Hey, don't fondle their necks. <laughs> I can't uh, get my hands in place. There we go. There's one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you got it. You got there it. Go. Two twins wearing purple turtlenecks greet the party inside to a large dining room completely adorned with antique portraits and mounted animal skulls. Mrs. Jeffries sits with the group, explains she's a collector of valuable antiques, the motorcycle being one of them. She mentions the motorcycle has been stolen while she was at the auction downtown. Defeated... Adam, Megabyte, and Amy arrive at Ruth's place, 
where she makes the miraculous discovery that her most recent pet patient has the exact same symptoms as Kevin. She takes a blood sample and hurries back to the hospital so Dr. Poole can run some tests on the sample. Meanwhile, the young girl with the ponytail laments over her comatose dog while Adam consoles her. It's revealed that her name is Jade, and she hints she was near the large mansion when her dog fell ill. So what do you think about their uh, interactions here and the developments that were happening, Alex? Uh, so a couple of things. I, I really, really liked um, Jeffries. Uh, I, I didn't realize this until I was about halfway through the series. I recognized her face, and I just couldn't place it. Oh. Uh, but uh, I've known her from something, and she's got this evil persona that she's doing so well, but I've seen it somewhere. And that's when it occurred to me that this is the same villainous that is on both Willow and Return to Oz. And oh, wow. that's when I was going, ah, that's where I know you from. You were, and, and I know her more as being Mombi from Return, of, Return to Oz than I do Willow. But uh, yeah, it, I was like, okay, you've got this thing down. Uh, we've got, we've got a, a thespian here. She's <laughs> excellent uh, in everything I've seen her do. And um, I liked uh, we uh, this kind of setup that we've seen uh, many other times before, where the villain is underneath this guise of "No, I'm perfectly innocent," and you can see this unruly, seeming disgusting. You can you can feel the evil emanating from her, despite her composure. Yes, like a and shadow looming out behind her. Yes, uh, it's it, oh, you can just tell, <laughs> and of course the inspector is like oh yes you're perfectly fine but uh again even then she hasn't done anything there's no evidence to support the fact that she has done anything wrong so okay that makes sense uh so i like that i don't remember <laughs> i don't remember which scene it was but i was just talking about ruth and how she does something some of her uh little uh whips and how she does certain things makes me giggle. Uh, this scene is definitely one of them when when uh, the dog is has been bitten because she's so excited, and the and Jade, yep. she was so distraught. <laughs> Look at this. Is it yours? She. What happened to her? What happened to Bonnie is what happened to Kevin. She's in a coma. Exactly the same symptoms. The weird, slow heartbeat, the bite mark, everything. Do you want to tell us how this happened? She's very upset. Your dog's dying. Hooray! That's <laughs> great news. This dog's been bit. Well, at least Adam was there to console her. He's, he's a oh, little yes. bit more refined and uh, gets the hint. Yeah, Adam was fantastic in the scene, and and Ruth and Megabyte are just yeah. You can tell she doesn't like people because she doesn't care at all about this child's yep. feelings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just makes a beeline straight for the dog. Doesn't even realize she's there. But uh, and and I had forgot to mention this earlier. I did really like the, the the plot of the twins taking the blood sample of Kevin's and pouring it down the drain. They're smart. They've been told what to do, and they're doing a very good job, and uh, make, made an extra understandable uh, obstacle for the main characters. And I like that this is naturally going this direction with uh, with the dog, and showing the same symptoms as uh, as uh, what Kevin did. I liked all that, and she's got 
and she's got a blood sample and she's going to take it to the doctor. This is this is all makes sense. This is logical stuff that now that we've got the inspector out of the way, the plot's going. Every time mm-hmm. the inspector shows up, it just stops. Uh, but with, he's literally a roadblock. He is. But uh, all this is going well, really well. But uh, there was one other thing. I don't remember which scene it was. And it's it'll be hilarious whenever I play it for you here in just a moment, uh, Slimesters. But I, I got to find out what it is. But there was one scene that ends with Ruth leaving. Uh, she's just excited. Uh, they, they get ready to go do something, and, and they've got a lead. But the camera cuts to her, and she just says, Okay and runs and it cuts that that's the whole shot it was not even a whole second she just okay and then cuts and that little bit made me cackle and it wasn't supposed to but it did it's just her her delivery i gotta go look promise me you won't do anything silly yeah we promise okay whether it's intentional or not she has a very uh What's the word? Exciteful, cheerful, bubbly personality. And uh, she, she, brings, she brings a lot of levity to even some of the more heavier scenes. And I think that's that's what this miniseries is doing so well so far is it's got a very well blended mix of, uh, you know, drama and comedy and suspense and mystery that it's it really feels like a very engaging ride from the from the get go. And it, it's still, you know, keeps you going deeper and deeper, and deeper as more of the layers slowly unfold and clues are being fed to us so yeah it's it's a great great start so far even part two yes yes very much so back at the hospital amy has another argument with her mother about who exactly her new friends are cut to adam and megabyte sneaking into the mansion which miss jeffries is well aware of their arrival as she monitors them from her four panel computer screen from an unknown destination she presses a big red button triggering an unbearable, piercingly loud drone that even shatters milk bottles nearby. The duo are forced to retreat. Uh, Miss Jeffries finds it strange the kids disappeared in the thin air. I mean, there's there's no hiding it. She's Dr. Kulik. She's dressed as the mad scientist now. So, oh, yeah. you know, spoilers. <laughs> Here's the villain of the episode. Uh, back at the uh, Roof's Country Vet Hospital, an unknown kidnapper tries to snatch up Bonnie the dog but the telephone interrupts their plan just before she can get her hands on him. Ruth asks the teenagers to look after the place as she is called away for a medical emergency. Okay. Back at the hospital, Dr. Poole calls Ruth to inform her of the astounding results of the blood sample. Adam picks up, but while he is distracted, Amy suspects someone is nearby and is captured around the corner of the back door. Before Dr. Poole can explain the full results to Adam, a hand yanks the doctor away we hear faint sounds of glass shattering in the background. Adam and Megabyte immediately teleport to Dr. Poole's location to see his office in shambles. They get the idea to pay a visit uh, to General Damon, who's Megabyte's father, for some help with the situation. General Damon is delighted to see the boys at work, but has them wait outside as he wraps up a meeting. Megabyte scoffs on how 10 minutes in dad time is always last longer than expected. We cut to Dr. Culex and the twins examine, examining Amy in her underground lair. The mad scientist grins, sensing the level of terror rising in Amy. She further elaborates on how not every creature in nature can sense such fear. But her favorite creature, the mosquito, they are magnificent and beautiful. We see a close-up of a biologically engineered mosquito with a thorn-like head and striped white and red body. 
Amy acts appalled. Dr. Culex offers a quote-unquote demonstration of how her pet project is wonderful. The twins shove Amy into this weird blender or bug zapper canister while the three laugh maniacally. Dr. Culex places a vial containing one of the mosquitoes into the slot of the canister. Amy panics, calling out for Adam and Megabyte while the, the mosquito hovers over her face. And that is the end of part two. What are your thoughts on part two, Alex? Once you took out the inspector, the plot moves. I mean, it moves at almost breakneck pace. Um, this was the part where I was talking about how uh, this is what I would substitute the uh, inspector scenes with. Uh, flesh out where the scientist came from and uh, bring in General Damon sooner. Uh, because obviously they're not going to want to go to the authorities with their abilities. Uh, because that was the whole reason that they were trying to get away in, in Series 1. Their dad knows about it, General Damon knows about it, and he will work with them, because uh, they've proven to trust each other. Uh, which, again, fantastic conversation that I love from the se first series. I, I loved that conversation. You know, we're on two opposite ends, where do we go from here? And here, they're actually working together. I really like that. He's no longer this person working for an evil organization this whole series he's actually working to protect people and uh, I, I like that and uh, I didn't like Meg Megabyte's impatience um, mm. because yes dad speak whatever says 10 minutes whenever you're in the middle of a business but also your business is security come on you, you gotta you gotta wait somewhat <clears throat> but uh, later it's revealed that he didn't actually take that long because uh, Megabyte says, yeah, two, 10 minutes and dad speak is two and a half hours. No, what wasn't that long at all. <clears throat> but uh, I do liked this. Uh, I, I liked the doctor was taken. I liked the dog was taken. I liked that Amy was taken. They're, they're covering their tracks in ways that makes sense. Um, I liked it. I liked the whole thing. Uh, uh, I enjoyed the m maliciousness of Dr. Kulix and how much he just savored people being afraid. Uh, I wish they had explored that a little more um, with the amount of time that they've had with her because uh, there was, you know, there's so much to cram into five episodes. Uh, and if they had taken out the inspector altogether, they could have fleshed out some of these other characters a little more. Yeah, even the recaps too. But I know they do that yeah. for the entire series because, you know, back in the 90s, uh, if you didn't record shows with your VCR, uh, you had to catch it like the following week or the week after and, yeah. you know, m make a note for the time as appointment television was a thing. So uh, I can understand why they're there, but today it's it's rather obsolete. Um, I do want to mention that when you mentioned how Dr. Kulik savors like Amy's fear as she's increasingly getting anxious and terrified of what's about to happen to her, it immediately made me think of Dr. Vink in the Are You For The Dark episode, The Tale of the Dangerous Soup, because yes. that, that one is all about fear and siphoning fear from people by just putting them in, in crazy situations where, you know, whatever is lurking in the back of their minds that frightens them, whether it's like some childhood trauma or phobia, it, it just totally brings it to the forefront. And, you know, that essence is extracted to make this irresistible soup. And I feel like she's essentially doing that here with bugs in her own way, where she's just playing on the fear to like continue to grow her mosquito army. 
Yeah, agreed. Uh, I. It's very, very clear from the very beginning when she's introducing the mosquitoes that she loves mosquitoes. You might even say, I'm in love with mosquitoes. I don't want to know what way she loves them. <laughs> yeah. This relationship, it defies all the laws of nature. No, it doesn't. This is not what you think. We're just very good friends. <gasps> I kind of do. I, I'm oh. interested to see now, not in what way, but why. Yeah. What has intrigued her infatuation? Maybe some with backstory. With something that people absolutely hate. Yeah. Uh, so I would have liked to have seen uh, at least some explanation as to why she loves mosquitoes so much. Is it because that mankind hates them so much? Is it because they're such a nuisance? And I, I, I don't know. Uh, I wish they had explored it a little more. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. For some reason, the only thing that's coming to mind now is like this this clip from uh, Simpsons where Ned Flanders is like, Come on, Flanders. It's got to be something you hate. What about mosquito bites? Mm-mm, sure are fun to scratch. Mm, satisfying. Okay, so we're in the thick of things. Here is part three of the Culex experiment. After the recap plays around the 320 mark, we see Amy struggling to avoid the deadly bioengineered mosquito. Adam hears a voice. He asks Megabyte if Adam called his name. Megabyte reserves the inquiry. <laughs> Megabyte reserves the inquiry after cutting back to Amy struggling. The two recognize Amy in trouble and immediately teleport out of General Damon's waiting room back to Roof's abode. They demand where Amy is, but Roof doesn't know. Adam and Megabyte do a quick mind merge to locate her, then teleport her out of the canister. Dr. Culex and the twins are surprised by Amy's disappearing act. After a moment, the mad scientist and her minions prepare for the next phase of their plan and hurry ba back to pack a truck full of their equipment. While Amy calms down, Roof gets uh, ready to take Amy to the police while they wait behind. Later that night, Adam and Megabyte successfully teleport into the brick mansion to uncover the dark secret lying within. Back at the police station, Roof and Amy try to convince Inspector Platt to take them to the mansion. But yet again, he doesn't want to hear any of their cockamamie explanations. What a surprise. Back at the mansion, Adam and Megabyte secretly observe the twins pack a large moving truck with various equipment along with giant cocoons while Dr. Culex drives up in a red sports car to give them instructions. Amy tries to convince Inspector Platt of the surreal events she endured hours before as the, their police car crosses paths with the moving truck. They continue driving to the mansion. Meanwhile, inside the moving truck, Adam and Megabyte open one of the cocoon-like tombs to a shocking discovery. Their comatose friend Kevin is actually inside. Megabyte teleports his friend and himself to Roof's place while Adam remains behind. Moments later, Roof, Amy, and Inspector Platt arrive at the mansion while he brushes off the possibility of a secret lab inside the mansion. Roof and Amy return home frustrated and disappointed. Luckily, they, rely, they arrive to see Megabyte and Kevin in the living room. Roof takes his pulse confirming that he is still alive. Megabyte suggests it's best to keep Kevin at Roof's while Amy notes she should trust her intuition more. So there's a lot to unpack here and also pack up. Uh, how do you feel about <laughs> these scenes, Alex? <laughs> I, again, I like this. I like where all of this is going. Um, I'm glad that there's so little Inspector. I really like the comedy in this episode. Uh, there's the two instances where there's a bit of comedy, starting with it, uh, with um, 
Amy in that too, but the bug flying around and she's calling one and the other one goes, what did you say? Did you say something? Nope. Oh. And then goes back to her freaking out again. <laughs> yeah. And then she calls somebody else and they, did you say something? No. No. And cuts back to the panic. <laughs> like, okay. What, what, is, <laughs> what are the screenwriters thinking this, this, this scene? But they got uh, a the, twisted sense of humor, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it sounds like something that I would try to do. Yeah. And uh, like I said, the comedy actually works in this series. Uh, and and another instance was later when they were sneaking around in the uh, the mansion. There, uh, Kevin and not Kevin, uh, Adam and Megabyte are very very close, and Adam turns around to ask a question. Have you found anything yet? <gasps> Have you found anything? What? Have you found anything? Just a second. Just in case. And pulls these things out of his ear. Yes, ears. I remember. It looks like little wads of paper. <laughs> yes, and I was like, oh, okay, okay. that, <laughs> And it tracks because the of the high sonar they had yeah. earlier. It's like, yeah. oh, okay, he's adapting. He's learning. This is good. And I was, I was expecting him to just shout kind of like Tommy from the offbeats where it's like, What am I going to do, Betty Ann? What? What am I going to do? I'm sorry, I can't hear you. What am I going to do? Oh, good but, times. But I liked everything. Everything here made sense. Uh, I liked that um, Adam and Megabyte were into the place and they teleported uh, Kevin out. Uh, they helped Amy to learn how to teleport and helped her teleport. Um, they worked really well as a team. And I liked that. Uh, I think they did a really good job with their teamwork and uh, detective skills. Um would have been helpful if General Damon was able to do more, especially since we find out later that he's tracking the same person. Uh, so it would have been good to have them all work together uh, and have more obstacles in the way uh, between Dr. Culex and the uh, two red-headed wenches. I, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> there you go. But, yeah, I, I like this opening. And now we're getting into some really, really fun stuff, and I can't wait to see where this goes. Wholeheartedly agree. Um, I, it, it really keeps you guessing. It's like a game of chess now. Everything is falling into place. It's well orchestrated. You're trying to see who's getting a one-up on each other, the good guys or the bad guys. And uh, everything plays out at a very nice, even pace. It doesn't feel slow or fast. You know, even the, in the more tame moments, you get some fun bickering from the twins in, in between to keep the keep the brightness going so it doesn't feel stale at all. Uh, I particularly love how when they insult each other, uh, both for the tea and when they're moving that cocoon tomb thing, yeah, uh, they're calling each other literally just animal names like, oh, you're a ferret, oh, you're a chinchilla, <laughs> squid, lobster, like. Just hang on to it, chill. I'm hanging on to it, ferret, weasel, chinchilla. It, it reminds well, me why? of- Why? <laughs> it reminds me of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the movie. Yeah, uh, with uh, between Donatello and Casey when they were insulting each other back and forth, but they were going using the alphabet. Mm. Uh, I because the their first insult had to start with an A, the next person had to do one start with a B, and back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Ah, and, so they're making a game out of it. <laughs> yeah, they were making a game out of their insults, and that's what this reminded me of. No way, Atomic Mouth. Gilligan was her main man. They'd be married and have six kids by now. Uh, Gilligan was a geek. Barfaroni, you're the geek, Camel Breath. The dome head. 
L flips. Let's give this a try. See if this transplant worked. Fungoid. All right, here goes. What are we on? Uh, G. Here goes, Gak face. I'm ready, hose brain. Uh, one more thing I want to add before we jump back into the synopsis is that this is actually when my earliest memory of the, the Tomorrow People happens. Um, I know I did say that I I watched, or I, I shouldn't say earliest, but definitely most vivid memory that I could recall before anything else. Uh, because I did mention in episode 23, I caught the origin story when it first aired when I was like around five, four back then. But for some reason, Kevin lying in his cocoon tomb uh, in the back of that truck really stuck out to me. The Just the imagery is like, whoa, what, what's happening here? Is he going to like turn into a bug in this thing? Or is he going to be wrapped up and eaten alive? Kind of like how the kids were wrapped up in Are You Afraid of the Dark to Tale the Manaha at the end. I, I was very curious. And I think that's, that's where some more of my Are You Afraid of the Dark memories are seeping in. Because for some reason, I thought based on Kevin's haircut, that was Tucker from the Midnight Society in there, not Kevin. And, uh, you know, some people would love to put him in a cocoon tomb and make him comatose <laughs> for his storytelling abilities. But that's that's just a fun little memory I thought I'd share with all you slimesters because uh, it has a, a lot of ambience and similar sinister tones that some Are You Afraid of the Dark Tales have. So, um, you know, I, I think they, they both go together very well for a more serious series on Nickelodeon. Agreed. So back at the hospital, Amy arrives at a lounge area with a bouquet of flowers to meet her mother for a third or fourth time. Amy's mom wants her daughter to spill the beans on the whereabouts of her location these past few days, but Amy hesitates. She then confesses that she's involved with some high-stakes circumstances and needs to keep it a secret to protect her mother, which she explains in an Oscar-worthy monologue. Amy's mother tears up sensing her daughter is now a mature adult and her, her daughter is not a little girl anymore. They share a tender hug. Meanwhile, Dr. Culex's truck crosses the London River and Adam telepathically sends his latest location to Megabyte. I believe it's Griffith Drive or Griffith Park, something to that extent. Amy joins into the mental conversation as well. Megabyte mentally remarks that the porch could be better despite telling Ruth it's great. Adam recognizes General Damon's office where the truck drops off one of the twins disguised as a window washer. Adam tries to update Megabyte, but Amy tells Adam he already left. We then see Megabyte arrive at his dad's office to talk with him, but his secretary instructs him to wait until his father's meeting is over. Megabyte grows impatient while General Damon describes the plan to protect Dr. Connor and her son when she arrives for the upcoming conference. Unbeknownst to him, one of the twins is listening in through the office window behind them, recording all the juicy details on a portable tape recorder. Megabyte bursts into the office, unable to wait any longer, spotting the spy. Everyone disperses to catch the disguised twin in the labyrinthine business atrium, but she gives them the slip by hiding behind a column. General Damon orders his men to search the perimeter for the spy once more while he catches up with his son about the details of the mess the tomorrow people have gotten themselves into. Adam enters the urban hideout of Dr. Culex, observing the strange cocoon suspended in the air. Just then, out of nowhere, the other twin minion grabs an oil drum and flings it over the railing to injure Adam. Adam flinches in a snap zoom for a dramatic effect. End of part three. So what would you like to say about uh, the final scenes of part three, Alex, and part three in general? So this uh, started really, really good. 
and then it got a little Scooby Doo, and then yes, ended, <laughs> and then ended Mystery Files of Shelby Woo. Um, I really enjoyed the uh, the communicating scene. I really loved that scene with Amy and her mom. I was afraid they were gonna do the um, the, the the daughter and grandma scene, or or I don't I can't remember if it was a grandma or Mother. actual mom from uh, season from season from series one. Oh, because okay. because that lasted the entire series, and the mom was kind of in the way most of the time, and I was afraid they were going to do that again for this series, but uh, no, uh, there was maybe one scene with her on the first episode, one scene with her on the second episode, and now one scene for this one, and she's gone, uh, the rest of the series, and I really liked that there's a huge... Uh, I, I liked how they both series handle parent child conversations and it's about the same time because mom has no clue what Amy is going through and she wants to know but she's also trusting her daughter and she can see the passion and uh, the authenticity despite I can't be openly honest with you about the situation right now but I will and the fact that she knows her daughter's character and now she's maturing it's incredible faith on mom's behalf to take what her daughter is saying for uh for what it is it's a beautifully written scene and yeah, very it, well very well acted as well it, it made me tear up every time i watched it just with the combination of the subtle hints of the main theme interwoven underneath mm-hmm. you know we get a lot of pushing and pressure and, and interrogation from her mother for the first couple times we see her but finally you know there's that level of understanding that i'm not i'm not a little kid anymore you just have to trust me and i think you know all you slimesters out there who are also parents to lovely children you understand those moments when your kids grow up that you realize okay maybe it's not my time to do all the protecting and talking for anymore uh you know you're ready to get up on your own two feet and face the world and it actually reminds me a lot of the farewell my little viking speech from pete and pete when Artie yeah. has that heart to heart with little pete before he disappears forever uh so it's it's a very poignant scene and i love how it just like it's plopped right into the core of the of the miniseries to remind you of who this character is and the tremendous growth she's already growing growing into since her appearance in part one mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, it's uh, and we have been through that. Uh, all of us adults at some point mm-hmm. have had to have a conversation with our parents of, "You're gonna have to trust me. Uh, I, you're gonna have to let me go and do my own thing and trust that you've done a good job parenting me enough that I can know the difference between doing what's right and what's wrong." And um, we we've had these conversations before. Uh, I know I have with my parents, and and they absolutely hated it yep. um, <laughs> uh but the, <laughs> okay the, the reason they hated mine was because they thought megan was pregnant and we were just dating uh oh. megan had gastritis and we knew we weren't pregnant but we're we're young adults uh and and uh coming out of being teenagers into young adults and we're not supposed to have kids right now and everyone's you can say that we've not done anything until you're blue in the face. They're not going to believe that until we went to the, I took her to the ER and the very first question, is it the nine month bug? No. Well, we're going to test anyway. And it wasn't, <laughs> they came back later. It's just gastritis. And then, then I got to have that conversation with my parents of you're going to have to trust me. I've already proven you can trust me. Okay. And then they backed off. Uh, <laughs> but 
it's we've had those conversations before and uh and parents we now generation parents are gonna have to have that with our kids Mm -hmm. and uh it's it's not something that you get to see a whole lot on nickelodeon and uh especially in a sci-fi show like this and i thought it was really really well done yeah wholeheartedly agree I did like the scene when they were on a conference call telepathically. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was really fun. I, I liked that even though this was in the 90s, they're having a cell phone call without cell phones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was fun. And uh, the fact that no one can jump in and they can go in and out when they need to so they can be there. It's <clears throat> it's a fun dynamic. Give but, us a couple of decades. I'm sure we can make that a reality. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But then it turns full Scooby-Doo. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have to remember that this is a kid's show. Uh, because the, one of the twins is at the conference room window behind General Damon's back. She's got the little suction cup on the window, listening in on the conversation, recording it, but still pretending to be a window washer, even though she hasn't sprayed the window. Uh, she's just wiping it dry. And you get that... the whole time she's wiping and what's bothering me about this whole scene is everyone who's sitting at the table is facing her these they're facing general damon and her behind the window and no one notices she's there until she's purple and white she sticks out like a sore thumb (laughs) not doing anything washing the same window pane with no liquid and then uh then megabyte shows pops in and within seconds hey and then everyone oh hey like no you guys are idiots (laughs) whatever security team this is you guys fail instantly yeah this is like a police academy uh peewee division or something yes they they can barely get their feet wet with uh spotting spies and uh speaking of spies i do have to insert this here real quick for are you for the dark fans all i can think about as edit uh, Megabyte just burst in and pointed out the obvious was uh, the red coat from the tale of the long ago locket where he calls Will Friedle. They all chase him out of the woods into present day from Revolutionary War woods time travel time. So uh, that's that's a fun little Easter egg connection there for you, for everyone who's keeping track that, yes, I've somehow managed to continue to make a connection to Ari for the Dark with every single episode we've done on this podcast. <laughs> And the, and the chase scene. The chase scene was fine uh, until the way she got away. They're yeah. all still behind her. I mean, they're chasing her, and she ducks behind a column. They can see that she went behind the column from the angle that she was running, and they all run past like like Scooby-Doo. Like, yeah. come, come on. There's got to be... You, you just had a very solid start to this episode, and then you went full goofy. Yeah. But, but that's okay. It, again kids show i'm willing to let it go uh they're gonna find a way to get away anyway this is just the easiest one with the time that they've got okay i'll i'll let it go yeah i I do have to say it is visually entertaining to see them run through all the different corridors and balconies of this building it's uh it it definitely does have strong scooby-doo vibes and i'm sure anyone who's seen that and also seen tomorrow people could uh make that connection I just have it playing in my head. Culex, Culex, do where are you? We have some mosquitoes to make now. <laughs> oh man, that's great. Yeah. 
Well, uh, before we start part four, we're actually going to take a commercial break because we have some uh, insect specimens to examine under a microscope before some evil twins steal the, the blood samples. So sit tight. We've got more mini series review to uh, cover after these messages. We'll be back with more of the Tomorrow People. Venus DeMalo and the Roundhouse cast, Mark and Max Wiener, Little Bear, along with game show contestants, podcasts such as Big Orange Couch, Slime and Slashers, Prime Nostalgia, Up All Night, and more? Wow, what a season this has been. Join Brett and I next week as we discuss the highlights, challenges, some behind the scenes, and some exclusive moments from our Patreon that you Slimesters missed during our third season, along with some future plans for the upcoming season. Thank you all for splatting around with us this season. We look forward to sharing these memories with you on our Season 3 Overview. Da, 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 da. Lights! Um, whoa. <clears throat> uh, camera! Uh, not what I had in mind, but, uh, action! Let me try and get this. There it is. There should we go. Ah, uh, yes, the 90s Nickelodeon host that really <clears throat> sticks with you. Join Brett and I, along with special guest Amethyst, as we cover the rich history of Stick Stickly. We cover the inspiration of the series, Nick in the Afternoon, the various segments, his family, the specials, the revival, and more. You will only find this available on our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash splatattack. Now, back to the action. And we're back from our commercial break. Um, Alex, are you ready to dive into part four? Yes, I is. Awesome. So let's resume this experiment. After the recap, we see Adam dodge the oil drum, but is immediately smothered by Dr. Culex, leaving him unconscious. The twins drag him away. Back at General Damon's office, Megabyte mentions Dr. Culex, to which his father slaps a document containing her portrait on the table, warning him she is a dangerous woman. Megabyte further adds they're all psycho and tried to kill him and his friends. General Damon demands her whereabouts. Megabyte attempts to contact Adam telepathically, but no reply. We see Adam being locked away in one of the cocoon tombs that Kevin was found in in a previous part. Back at the office building, General Damon struggles to connect with his son, claiming he can't offer any info on his end about their security operation. Meanwhile, Roof examines a poison under the microscope to which Amy adds, if they had a cure, they could re reverse Kevin's condition. Roof dismisses her hopes, claiming it could take weeks or months to develop a cure. Megabyte enters to get updated on the situation. Both Amy and Megabyte yawn, despite not being tired, cluing them that, you know, it, it, Adam is unconscious. They're, they're channeling that. Uh, Roof asks what's happening, but Amy reassures her they'll be back. Amy and Megabyte teleport to Dr. Culex's city hideout to recover Adam from one of the pods. Dr. Culex warns the twins they do not have much time left to carry out the next phase of their plan. Adam is freed from the pod and awakens dazed. So how do you feel about the opening scenes of Part 4, Alex? It, this one frustrates me a bit for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, I really like how General Damon is fully on board and trusting of Megabyte with uh, what's going on with Dr. Culex. He doesn't have to try to explain everything. He's already there, uh, especially since they've already been tracking her. Uh, I like that. Now you can do a cool, 
tag team or team up with Dad and Tomorrow People, and especially since you know that's the, that's been their whole thing. And then he, I can't tell you, I can't tell you these things, dude. You just told him that you're tracking her. Uh, no, no, you you've just negated everything. Of I can't tell you anything. You just did. Uh, and also at the same time. I'm frustrated with Megabyte because Megabyte and the first series was all, I can't tell you. I can't tell you because of these reasons. Your dad, you should uh, be understanding that there are certain things your dad can't tell you because this is his freaking job. Uh, he could lose his job. Or be uh, killed. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, I know you're his son and that you you should be aware that there are consequences for these kinds of things since this is your freaking life, dude. So both areas here I'm a little frustrated with and I'm also really frustrated with Ruth in this scene because you're a vet not a scientist <laughs> uh, you're not going to be able to look at these blood samples and be able to dissect everything that the doctor whose speciality is doing this kind of thing and yours is taking care of animals while yes it's complicated you're not a scientist you're not going to know all this stuff uh, so that was, a, was okay. That's a leap I can't take. Uh, even for a kids show, I can't take that. That's not logical. Well, but, uh, I, I mean, unless she's a vet technician, but she definitely does not play that part up in the episode. And I only, I only add that as an asterisk because my wife actually does uh, lab animal science with um, yes. certain certain animals to advance cures and certain apparatuses developed so that they can increase their well being. So, but also, you're it, not going to be able to it, yeah. do that with a new strand of mosquitoes. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> it, it's a little bit beyond the reach of what happens in reality with um, lab animals and dealing with, yes. with them. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you there. Uh, what can I say about this? I, I yeah, I really find the the whole back and forth backpedaling of uh, General Damon and Megabyte frustrating too, because they made all this progress and then they act like they yeah. didn't do any of it after origin story or even the previous parts. So, um, got to knock you for that. <laughs> I also love how Megabyte just like nonchalantly walks up, uh, to the Learjet and he's like, Hey, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and I love, I love, I love General Damon's reaction. like, Hey, dad. <laughs> Great, uh, 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 great reaction, man. Well done. Uh, will you excuse me? Yeah, that that saves the the conflict a little bit for me, <laughs> just because of the the unex unintended goofy humor of it all. Um, but we can talk about that more in just a moment because it's part of our plot. <laughs> uh, over at Heathrow Airport, Dr. Connor and her son Richie exit a Learjet. General Damon welcomes the esteemed scientist, but before he can finish his conversation with her. Megabyte teleports to their location, waving all goofily to catch his dad's attention. <laughs> General Damon rushes over to his son to tell the guards to stand down and scolds his son for interrupting his operation. Megabyte hints he'll have to handle it himself, and his father chases him off screen. Cut to the twins arriving with a limo to the hideout. Megabyte teleports inside to reconvene with his fellow Tomorrow people while Dr. Kulex dons a chauffeur outfit asking her minions if she looks convincing. The three exit the building as Dr. Kulex drives the limo into the city. Megabyte sneaks into the trunk before her car starts up, and the mad doctor drives away while the twins wave goodbye in unison. Moments later, General Damon, Dr. Connor, and her son 
arrive at the convention center. Dr. Connor is greeted by another doctor, who is known as Dr. Liam, who is excited to see her demonstration. Richie pulls a flyer from the display of leaflets advertising a laser tag place nearby. Richie asks General Damon's second-in-command, Jim, if they can go play, to which he agrees. We then see a quick shot of Dr. Culex driving towards the convention while Megabyte stabilizes himself in the trunk. Back at the hideout, the twins bicker over a vanilla with fig tea to which one of them dumps out on the floor from her mug. While they are preoccupied, Adam and Amy search for any telling documents or clues tied to Dr. Culex's plan. Amy confiscates one of the mosquitoes in a vial, hopeful she can use it to find either a cure or their weakness with Root. She teleports out of the lair while Adam snoops around some more. How do you feel about these scenes, Alex? I really love the fact that we have yet to see the inspector. Yes! I don't, <laughs> Nowhere to do, be seen! Do it, we don't see him anymore at all in the series, do we? Is there one that, more scene where he shows up? Uh, I don't think so. He doesn't even show up at the end when everyone's there. Yeah, the, the inspector is now gone. Uh, much like the scientist at the beginning of the series. So press the party button. Again, why? You didn't need him because you don't even have a payoff with him. He's not the one who was responsible for getting anyone arrested. He didn't do anything to assist at all. And that's his freaking job also. No. Um, but I, this next portion of the episode moves along a lot better. Uh, I don't have a lot of that backpedaling or back and forth of stuff that doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's back to new characters advancing the plot, what's happening, what's this demonstration, and at this point, I'm just what? Okay. Plot. Give me. What's going on? And it's giving me, and it's, it's giving me pieces of things to advance the plot, and I'm excited about this. Uh, I like the setup. It's back to setup mode to set up for the climax. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it because I feel like they got derailed with some of the the bickering between Megabyte and General Damon and some of the side plots that are happening that they're trying to close up by part five. But I feel like it's it's regaining its footing. It's getting back on track and starting to piece the, together the clues and you know have everything directed to this big climax that we're anticipating in the next part. So... Uh, it's looking good so far. I I like how we see uh, Dr. Connor's uh, relation with the other adults slowly unfold. I, f I find the, the laser tag moments with Jim and Richie <laughs> are pretty fun. Um, always fun to see laser tag on TV, even if they have very goofy forced reactions like, Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> You got me with that fake laser. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> oh, wait, that was a bullet. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to start doing that when I go to laser tag. <sighs> yeah, over-exaggerated. <laughs> Lasers don't hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really enjoy how how things are just getting back on track. It's it's more evenly paced. We, we're being introduced to Dr. Connor, who's going to be very pivotal to the climax of the series. And and how her relation is to the rest of the characters that we're introduced to, especially the adult characters. So it's, it's looking good. It's well-paced. Yes. So getting back to the action, downtown, Dr. Culex, disguised as the limo driver, picks up Commander Scott, who is due to meet with both General Damon and Dr. Connor. 
The commander asks if her limo driver has been a chauffeur for long, to which Dr. Culex ignores her question. She then throws a vial of the, what I call, bioskeeto into the, bla into the <laughs> back seat and raises the automatic window divider to protect herself. Commander Scott is stung and remains in the parked limo unconscious, while Dr. Culex lifts her outfit and fingerprints to act as her doppelganger when meeting with the general. Not a moment too soon, the imposter meets General Damon with the premise that she's in a hurry. General Damon instructs her to place her palm on the scanner, which gains her maximum security clearance. She chuckles sinisterly as her plan continues to flow accordingly. Back in the parking garage, a man in a suit locates the real Commander Scott passed out in the back of the limo. Cut back to General Damon's office, where the imposter requests a complete dossier of the security plans of the conference for the contract for the conference, excuse me. General Damon questions her motives, but she blocks his inquiry by re reinstating her authority. Cut back to the parking garage where the man in the suit opens the trunk, revealing Megabyte's hiding spot. The officers stare at him perplexed. Meanwhile, in the World Scientist Convention, Dr. Liam introduces Dr. Connor as the speaker for today's event. Back at the hideout lair, Adam finds a critical piece of information with the headline, Scientist Jailed, and an image showing Dr. Culex and Dr. Connor standing side by side as colleagues. Cut the Dr. Culex stroking her ego as her dastardly plan is coming together, despite her unwillingness to deal with kidnappings. She cackles an evil laugh as the camera pans away to Dr. Connor as she introduces her replicating cornucopia machine, demonstrating a single grain of rice, multiplying rapidly at an exponential rate. The room floods with applause at the marvelous spectacle while Dr. Connor smiles. Suddenly, Adam and Megabyte run towards General Damon to warn him of impending danger. The three hurry inside to warn all the scientists to evacuate from the convention before Culex and her minions arrive. How do you feel about these scenes, Alex? That was a very, very packed convention center. Are you being sarcastic? Yes. That's <laughs> yeah. what, all of six people? Yeah, it's basically just the scientists uh, from yes. various countries showing up. So I, I was expecting a little bit more of a turnout considering uh -huh. this is supposed to be like a scientific breakthrough that they are looking for for decades. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, and I know they're, they're trying to pack it in as much as they can with the limited space. I mean, everything was tight, a tight building, tight room, tight, tight lighting, mm -hmm. and then spread out the people that they had. But yeah, there, there should have been a lot. A lot more people for this, especially for something this monumental. Yeah. Um, that's really the only nitpick that I have. I really liked her as the limo driver. I liked her scheme. I liked that she was able to spray this thing on her hand and then peel it off like latex, and it would be uh, serve as a glove that she could use her fingerprints for the scan. Uh, it was it was awesome. Uh, I really liked that. Um, I liked the machine. Uh, the cornucopia machine. Um, I like how she said it's a uh, bionic and she just uses uh, rice. <laughs> you, you, you could have used something living. Uh, Using this machine, you too can feed a third world country. It's called, <laughs> it's called 555. 555. <laughs> yeah. No, don't call that number. We know it's Cox Unlimited. <laughs> no, I like this. I like it. It's a very, very... I'm seeing where this is all going now and yeah. I can't wait to see the payoff. Yeah. I, I'm with you there too. Aside from the extras, it's, 
it's it's nice to see where the plot is going. You can kind of get a little bit of um, what's the word foresight of where where it's headed yeah. uh, because of how the pieces are falling into place now and. You know, obviously, we don't have much time left to resolve things. So we introduced the object of desire and what the what the doctor, mad scientist, is after. And now we have to figure out how they're going to either get it away from her or for her plan so that she doesn't have it. Um, but I'm getting a little bit too ahead of myself because we're almost at part five. Uh, so elsewhere, Richie and Jim play a relaxing game of laser tag. Oh, <laughs> oh you got me. <laughs> really? <laughs> Richie scores the first point, though Jim doesn't seem to mind. Jim then fires back. The score is tied. Right after, the twins make an unexpected entrance and bug Richard, knocking him out. Jim notices he's missing, then meets up with everyone else at the convention center to inform Dr. Connor her son has been kidnapped by Dr. Culex in exchange for the replicator machine. End of part four. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> uh, we don't have to go really into a summary of part four if you don't want to because uh we pretty much just covered the main scenes but the only, any, thing, I the only thing i would say is that laser tag still looks more realistic than the one on are you afraid of the dark yeah yeah i really enjoyed this a lot more i wish this was just the tale of the laser maze on are you afraid of the dark because <laughs> i really dislike those twins and i dislike that drake guy who's like super <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but uh, we can do an episode review of that another day and give it the <laughs> F that it deserves because it's 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 a piece of work. Uh, yeah, getting back on track. Let's uh, let's wrap this bad boy up and uh, foil Dr. Culex's plans with part five of the Culex experiment. So after a quite large recap, we pick up after where we left off at the 442 Gosh. mark uh, with a pair of dead bioskitos being examined by Ruth and Amy. Roof mentions the creature is composed of mosquito, locust, hornet, and scorpion, and how when we take Mother Nature into our own hands, the results are dreadfully dire. Amy feels frightened at the revelation and shares her sentiments with Roof. Back at Dr. Connor's hotel room, the esteemed scientist spills the beans to General Damon, Adam, and Megabyte about Eliza Jeffrey's past as her colleague at the university. She recalls, even back then, her friend's obsession with mosquitoes, as she tried to engineer a new strain of the insect, but because the process takes months at a frustratingly slow pace, her plan was to steal Connor's machine to instantly create swarms of her beloved experiment to dominate any territory she desires to conquer. In turn, for returning Richie to her mother, Dr. Culex re received the machine from Dr. Connor. In turn for returning Richie to her mother, Dr. Culex will receive the machine. The mad scientist instructs her to bring the cornucopia machine to the war museum tomorrow at noon. Dr. Connor furiously hangs up. Dr. Culex cackles insanely. After a quick phone call, General Damon commandeers the machine to hide it in a safe space. Back at the hideout, Dr. Culex informs her terrible twosome Dr. Connors will show up despite her call since she could sense the fear in her voice that she's concerned for her son. Meanwhile, at, at Ruth's place, Ruth hands Adam a cross-section of a dead bioskito she and Amy examined previously. They tell the boys their weakness is actually extreme heat or cold, which they found out by sticking one of them in the freezer, as Amy remarks. While they have no developments on the cure, Megabyte believes Dr. Connor can assist them in their debacle. So how do you feel about the, the intro scenes for part five, Alex? 
Not bad. Uh, I was wondering how in we're in the last episode. You're gonna have to give me some kind of a resolution, and now it's all of the uh, the, the the quick. Hey, here's how we defeat this. Okay, good. Ex extreme temperature change. There it is. Okay, now that there's that problem. Now how are you gonna do the, the do the rest? Um, I like that they were giving a backstory. I still would like to know why her fascination with all things mosquitoes, but we never get that. But that's okay. Um, again, the tight on time at this point. Um, I liked. I, I was wondering why why the sun, and now that makes sense because now it's a give me my give me your machine and you can have your son back and i also really like general damon's foresight into take the machine because she's compromised she will give this up for her child um as as it, it's the entire world versus one kid which is a horrible horrible decision to make but it's a decision that's going to have to be made and obviously the mom's not going to be the one to be the most objective about this right. so I, I i liked the general damon was nope take it bye <laughs> yeah it's a good setup and it's it's it reminds me of a lot of like action thriller movies maybe even mission impossible um just with the way the stakes are here with like the ransom of richie and the and commandeering the the cornucopia machine um, I, I also found it humorous, even though we didn't touch upon it previously, that at the end of uh, part four, there's like a confetti bomb with a little letter on a parachute inside detailing the ransom oh, of yes. Richie. Yeah, that's worth mentioning, too, because it's it's a nice little jump scare to, to make sure that you're still paying attention by the end of the episode. And again, the security team does not know. Mega Megabyte just literally runs in. It's a bomb! Takes it, takes it away. <laughs> Jim, what's going on? That's I... Richie's bag. What's happened? The kid's been snatched. Sure. What? That's a bomb! What? Why is he the one to be the voice of reason and figure it out immediately? Well, everyone's just like, duh, what's uh, going on here? Come on. You got, this is your job. Back at the hotel, we see the twins disguised as chambermaids in an attempt to get either Machine or Dr. Connor. They easily get past security and confront the worried scientist. She tells the twins they took the machine yesterday and they'll have to get it back to complete the deal. Adam, Megabyte, and Amy arrive to talk to Dr. Connor. The security guards bounce them away from the door and they easily teleport into her hotel room, but she's not there. Adam and the others exit the door they try to get into from the other side, asking, who else has been in here? The guards go after their, the three teens while they pursue the twins in a series of Dutch angles. The twins are cornered, but Dr. Connor is still nowhere to be seen when they check underneath the trolley. Somewhere downtown, Adam spots Dr. Connor sitting by herself on a park bench in deep thought. She reveals to Adam if she could trick Dr. Culex and give her the wrong access code to the machine, then she could save Richie without endangering the world. The group hatches a plan to stop the mad doctor in her tracks. Cut to Adam teleporting into the security building where General Damon works and Jim announces to him the machine has been removed from their vault without a trace. Upon hearing this, General Damon knows exactly who took it. Cut to Adam, Megabyte, and Amy watching Dr. Connor from afar as she disappeared behind an ice cream van suddenly. The van arrives at the city hideout where the replication machine is assembled. Dr. Culex remarks patience is a terrible affliction she suffers from herself, or impatience then drones on about her mosquitoes terrorizing the world once the machine sets forth the final phase of her plan. Dr. Culex reveals Richie unconscious inside 
of one of her cocoon tombs. Knowing she's been double-crossed by Dr. Connor, she proposes a new deal. Give her the access code, and she'll give Dr. Connor the antidote to save her son. Cut to General Damon and the Tomorrow People arriving at Culex's city hideout, thanks to a homing bug placed on the machine. General Damon shouts down at her from above, but she informs everyone that they're too late. The final phase of her mosquito operation has been set in motion, and she's loving every moment of it. We see hundreds of mosquitoes being replicated by the second in her weird blender canister chamber as Dr. Culex unleashes them by throwing one of her vials at the canister, breaking the glass and unleashing swarms of mosquitoes everywhere. Dr. Connor pleads to General Damon to stop her, she's insane! The group immediately splits up to corner Dr. Culex. General Damon and his men approach the canister, swatting away the mosquitoes while Amy and Megabyte blast the insect swarm with steam and a fire extinguisher. The biosquitoes begin dropping like flies by the dozen, or should I say locusts, because that's what they look like here. Adam chases Dr. Culex to an upper level where he corners her, demanding the antidote. Dr. Culex refuses to surrender, lobbing the vial over the railing along with herself. Adam quickly teleports to the base level, catching the antidote just in the nick of time, laughing in a sigh of relief. The others watch in shock as Dr. Culex plummets to her death surrounding her as they all feel relieved that her evil plans have been stopped for good. Back at the hospital, Kevin awakens while Dr. Poole lets in our main cast of characters. They share a few jokes relieved that the antidote revived all present victims from their comas. Megabyte makes a terrible dad joke and we slowly zoom out to see everyone else laughing and Aunt Ruth hitting Megabyte with flowers over and over again while a heartwarming variation of the Tomorrow People theme song plays. That is end of part five and the end of the second miniseries arc of the Tomorrow People, the Culex Experiment. So we're finally here, Alex. How do you feel about this uh, ending of the of part five and also the Culex Experiment? Uh, I really like that the uh, it was the Tomorrow People teenagers who kind of took a situation and made it worse uh, without realizing that's what they were doing. Uh, because they're teenagers. They weren't working with the professionals. <clears throat> and I use that term very, very loosely for this. Big J.K. Uh, Simmons. <laughs> yes. Uh, the first thing they did that actually made sense was, again, taking the cornucopia machine from Dr. Connors and putting it in a vault. That is the most logical thing to do in this situation. And, um, and, and especially whenever they came to this team and said hey we're we need to evacuate the the convention everyone's in danger oh crap and she also knows all of our plans so we're gonna have to completely revamp everything that all is it that tracks that something that should have taken place and now the tomorrow people think they have a way to beat uh dr culex so they're all on board with this really half-baked idea and they go get the machine and take it to her anyway uh which again makes sense because they're teenagers and they don't think things through completely um and also their job is not in you know national security uh but this ending the the whole thing that took place in dr culex's laboratory i loved every bit of this uh i had remarked earlier how the effect for the mosquito is not all that great but whenever there's a swarm of them, it looks a lot better. 
they actually had done some really good staging of it this time around because they kept them uh, off to the side for whenever they were going upstairs or whenever they were spraying the uh, fire extinguishers and they were keeping them within the fog. Uh, even though you, you, you could say, see that they weren't being completely enveloped by the fog but because of the effects, but they were trying. They, they, they took some away, so like faded them out a little bit. So they, they were doing more than what they had done before and actually put them in the correct staging, the, the correct blocking on the screen. So that was much better. Um, I kept wanting someone to go full Will Smith on Men in Black. Just... Oh. Uh-oh. I'm sorry. Was that your auntie? Oh, then that must mean that that's your uncle then, huh? Oh man, you just you just gave me an idea for like an alternate ending for this uh, where <laughs> it turns out that Dr. Culex is actually a giant mosquito herself, kind of like that roach in that nasty-ass um, man suit in Men in Black. <laughs> Which would <make laughs> That would have been amazing. <laughs> that would explain the giant cocoons that we never get an explanation for that are just kind of hanging around in the background. I want to know more about that. And the fact that he actually said aliens at the earlier part of the episode. It, it could have connected. Yeah. yeah. See, there, there Insect you go, aliens. Writers. There you go, writers. We just fixed your problem. We yeah, hire us, please. <laughs> no, we're, too, we're we're 29 years too late, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, it was a very good ending. Uh, I still still no word on the scientist. You still don't see him come back. The inspector has done absolutely nothing this entire series that has been any help. So he could have been taken out altogether. But I do like this climax. It, it was very, very solid. Um, the whole ending scene in the hospital... Uh, I mean, even the doctor was... Doctor, is he going to be all right? Well, it's a highly effective antidote. I mean, look at him. Oh, young Richie here. Come to think of it, look at me. Yeah. Yeah. And I did, uh, I did like the dad joke. And how everyone was groaning about it. We'll tell you all about it. It's quite a story. Yeah, a story with a sting in its tail. And then I was laughing even more at exactly what you said, Ruth, hitting him over the head with a bouquet of flowers. You could tell she was just Hamming as the it cameras up. as the cameras pulling back. You know, she's looking back at uh, the actor, going, "Okay, do I have to keep doing this? I can keep doing this." And then does it a few more times. Looks back again. Am I still going? Okay, I'm still going. And then does it some more. <laughs> <laughs> just go stop hurting me the thorns are scratching my skin <laughs> it, yeah it was i was fun i enjoyed it was it. great yeah I, I wouldn't say it was the perfect ending i don't think any of the tomorrow people miniseries arcs i'm without spoiling anything end on a perfect note but this is this is probably as as good as it gets i really like the conclusion i like how the tension builds up with the swarm of mosquitoes um, even if they still look kind of fake, but they, they keep it at a distance this time. It's not up close, so it doesn't seem yes. as jarring with the whole like 
green screen um, matte painting kind of effects they had to do to go around the footage of the of the mosquitoes and you know certainly the the ambience of the lair and the and the lighting uh, helps their cause too with the confrontation and how it how sinister everything feels even with yes. like the government officials coming in with general damon and then the tomorrow people kids um you know trying to carry out the plan with the fire extinguishers and the steam they're all just like working together to stop it and oh man that feels so good to thwart an evil villain when you're like working together for a bigger cause so uh yeah i love it even that even the dad jokes even the even the flower bouquet hitting it's it's fun. You, you can't not like this. It needed some touch-ups. It needed a few rewrites, but yeah. as a whole, it was really done. It was really good. Yeah, I'd say I'd say so too. So, uh, with our miniseries being wrapped up, what would you rate this, Alex, on our splat attack scale? Uh, so the cons for the episode is uh, the 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 poor close-up effects of the uh, the mosquitoes. Uh, the inspector scenes, um, the lack of backstory for Dr. Kulix, um, and uh, the no explanation for the scientist and what happened to him at the beginning. Uh, in Ruth's community theater performance, <laughs> uh, and, and the inept uh, security team. Uh, the, the pros is the three protagonists. They do a fantastic job. Uh, the camaraderie between all three is very palpable. They all do a great job. Uh, Dr. Culex is deliciously evil. Um, she said that herself. Delicious. <laughs> ah, she did. As if and she that, eats mosquitoes or something. <laughs> and that was not intentional. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I liked the story for this. Uh, I liked that we didn't have to retread a whole lot of sto a lot of uh, plot points from the first series uh, I liked the pacing overall of the whole thing I liked how the comedy was be better put together uh, it has its faults but it takes a lot of the faults from the first series and improves on them vastly here uh, so it's not perfect uh, it did meet my expectations it didn't exceed my expectations uh, well I would say that those improvements exceeded my expectations but it also gave me a lot of plot points that i was really frustrated with at the same time so it mm. it took it down a little bit for me uh, uh i would put this in the s territory if it weren't for so many cons for me but as much as those are in place i really enjoyed it so i give this an a rating of splat standing hopefully it's a high a rating because uh that's the same yes. rating as origin story um, yes. <clears throat> well, for the Culex experiment, uh, as, as some of you Slimesters may know, I tend to rate things higher than most people on our podcast, but that's because everything I've scheduled on this podcast so far is something I'm so darn passionate about. Like it's, it's really difficult for me to talk about something I hate cause I can really dig into it, but I don't think it'd be entertaining for a lot of people. So I couldn't help but just continue with the whole Tomorrow People series because I really enjoy all five miniseries arcs, and this is one of my favorites, if not my favorite. Um, I love I love the atmosphere of the of the evil lab. I love Doctor Culex as a villain. She's she's sinister. She's maniacal. She's conniving. She's everything you want in someone you fear. Uh, who has a dastardly plan, even if we don't get too much backstory on her. It doesn't bother me during my, my viewing too much. Um, what bothers me is more like the, the 
the interruption of pacing, uh, mainly with the whole back and forth of Megabyte and General Damon, like not trusting each other and withholding and sharing information. And of course, the, the fake J.K. Simmons, who's just there to take up screen space, which is, I wish, I wish they just, I, I would like to see a little bit more Kevin over him, put it that way. I just, ugh, I don't like him. But that's, that's not enough for me to drop it a few points for my rating because I can overlook that to embrace everything this does well. Um, <clears throat> even, even if some of the questions like the scientist at the beginning or what the true purpose of the, the suspended cocoons are um, play out, I'm, I'm sure if someone wants to write Dr. Kulik's fan fiction or in, expand upon this universe, there's, there's plenty of material to work with. But um, at, least, at least everything across these five parts is is like solid quality. It doesn't prevent you from enjoying it at any, any one point, even if there are a few bumpy parts, uh, even if there are a few corny parts. It's a great balance of comedy, drama, sci-fi, mystery. Uh, things wrap up together really great. I love the camaraderie as well between, or among Amy Megabyte and Adam. Uh, glad they wrote out Kevin for obvious reasons. So I thought about giving this an S, but I feel like it would do it a disservice just because I love this one so much. It's it's my favorite tomorrow people miniseries arc. So I gotta bump it up to a double S. Splat standing. Very nice. Very nice. Mm -hmm. Well then, I guess that leaves us with uh one more thing to do before we head out for tonight from this evil evil lab. <laughs> and that is to play a segment that's been demanded quite a bit during the season. Think fast to make the grade. So let's do it. Time to think fast to make the grade. Okay, so for think fast to make the grade, I'm going to test Alex's mic to see if he paid attention enough while watching the Culex experiment with some Tomorrow People trivia. Uh, we're going to do a few more questions than usual, so hopefully you can keep up as each question ramps up in difficulty by a little bit, as noted with their point values. Obviously, we would have loved to have Christian Smith, Kristen Tessier, and Naomi Harris here to uh, play along with us, but due to their busy schedules and difficulty just connecting with them in time for this recording, they were unable to make it. So, yet again, it's just Alex versus him himself, and if you Slimesters at home want to play along, feel more than free to join along or play with friends who are watching with you. So let's begin. So question one, this is for one point. Which main character who is present in the origin story of Tomorrow People was replaced by Amy, uh, who is in seasons two to four of the Tomorrow People? Uh, that was Lisa. Ding, ding, ding. That is correct. One point for Alex. Next question. Two points. Where was Kevin taken once he was bit by a mosquito? And where was he taken once he was kidnapped from the first location? So you get one point for each part of that question. Uh, first, Megabyte took him to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And then the second, the twins took him to Dr. Kulix's lab or in the pod. Ding, ding, ding. Also correct. Three points. So far, so good. Question three for two points. What word is Kulex Latin for? Mosquito. 
That is also correct. Two more points. So you're up to five. Question four for three points. A little bit more difficult now. Name all three characters who are stored in the cocoon tombs within this miniseries. Uh, Kevin. Mm -hmm. Adam. Mm -hmm. The the son, Dr. Connor's son. Do you know his name? Richie Rich. Richie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is correct. Kevin, Adam, and Richie. Three points. So we're now up to eight points. Wow, so far batting a thousand. Awesome. Question five for three points. Name the three psychic powers of any of the Tomorrow People used in this miniseries arc. The uh, ones that they mention on screen. Oh, they mentioned. Well, I'm just thinking of the ones that did. Uh, they, they did teleportation. Mm -hmm. um, telepathy. They talk to each other. Yep. What was the third one they did? Yeah, um, the Vulcan mind meld. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is correct. Um, yeah, telepathy, teleportation, and mind merging. Um, I thought we would have seen more different types of powers, but I'll take it. So yeah, three points. So that would be one, two, three, four, five, six, eight, 11 points. Doing great, Alex. Whoop. Okay, question six for four points. What is Dr. Kulex's name before she turned mad and who did she originally work, work with? She worked with Dr. Connors mm -hmm. and Jeffries. I forgot her first name, we'll start with an A. Yes, I'll give that to you because you got, you basically got it. Um, the answer is Eliza Jeffries. Eliza. Spelled, yeah, spelled with an A. And Dr. Lisa Connor. So, yep. I was going to say like Dr. Allison or something, but I knew that wasn't right. No, you, you got it. Question seven for five points. What is the name of the girl with the ponytail and where does she bring her dog after it's bitten by a biosquito? Uh, Jade. Mm -hmm. Takes it to uh, Dr. Ruth's. Yeah. Pretty much. Uh, so that's five points for you, bringing you up to 20. Okay, last question. 10 points total, two per correct answer. <laughs> so you know that you're gonna have to name a lot of stuff here. Um, let's see. Name all the insects Roof compares the Biosquito to when lamenting how Dr. Culex tampered with nature. Mosquito, mm -hmm. scorpion. Um, locust. Mm -hmm. Ornit? You got them all. Hey! Yeah. I, I, I did math wrong. It, it should have been, um, uh, eight points in total, but what the hey, I'm generous. So you're, you're at 30 points. Perfect <laughs> score. Yes. You've regained your, your title as think fast to make the great <laughs> champion against yourself. <laughs> uh, yeah. Set my own high score. Woohoo! Yeah, it's like in the arcades where you, you type in your initials and people have to beat it. So, Slimesters, <laughs> Slimesters, if you're playing at home, submit your points so that we, uh, we can see how you compare. And don't cheat, because I'll know. <laughs> uh, so, before we wrap things up, do you have any final thoughts on the Culex experiment, Alex? Uh, I, I like this a lot. Uh, I liked it. I know the rating was the same, uh, but uh, for the 
the origin story uh, mm-hmm. and Kulik's experiment were the same, but I liked this one more. Um, as a whole, I liked it more. There were things that I would have liked to have seen done differently um, because it would have put it in in my S category. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really felt like they took the things that I didn't like about the first one and improved on it. But unfortunately, their their script really had a lot of big holes that was frustrating me. Yeah. Um, but I enjoyed this a lot. Uh, and I'm still very much looking forward to the next uh the next what is the next series uh in tomorrow people you mean yes uh that will be monsoon man and we're actually going to cover that in season four so for any of you longtime slimesters out there who love tomorrow people you definitely want to stick around for that it's going to be in monsoon season appropriately for monsoon man and i believe uh Tomorrow People still does not have an, an official DVD release here in the U.S. No. There is a DVD release over in the U.K., uh, and I believe every episode can still be found on YouTube, so you can go check it out there. Yep. Yeah, it's it's a great series, whether you grew up with it or you're just learning about it for our podcast. So we urge you to check it out and show some love uh, because it's got a great mix of sci-fi, drama, thriller, and a little bit of goofiness, too, to boot. And I'll put a link to the uh, the playlist that has all this in our description on our YouTube channel. So as long as it's functional, it'll be there. Indeed. All right, Slimesters, it's time to uh, close up the lab, shut down, and head on out because we've already we've already uh, defeated the villain. <laughs> so closing question is for today: What would your Tomorrow People power be if you had to stop Doctor Culex? It could be some combination of Tomorrow People powers we've seen on this miniseries. It could be from origin story that we didn't see here, like uh, healing powers that Adam had. Or it could be something that you totally make up that's in the realm of psychic abilities. Let us know via email at splatattack2021 at gmail.com or via DM on Instagram at splatattackpodcast or even in our comment section of this episode on YouTube at splatattackpodcast. So with that being said... Tune in next time when we retreat to our secret slime tank hideout to recoup, recharge, and review everything that we've done for Splatattack these past six months with our Season 3 overview. If you haven't caught up with our podcast yet, this is the perfect episode for you to get a glimpse of all the cool content we've made for Season 3, so definitely be there for that. In the meantime, Alex, will you drain the slime tank for us, please? Now that Dr. Culex has been vanquished, I found some parts in her lab that we can use to upgrade our slime tank for season four. Aye, aye, co-captain. And now don't get bit by any genetically engineered mosquitoes while you're moving those parts around. Oh, no. I'm not doing this by myself. Grab some beekeeper soups and a truck, and let's get the show on the road. We've got a lot of work to do. Spot you later, slimesters. Bye. Reprise the theme song and roll the credits. Hard to believe, folks, but it's time to say goodbye. Nighty night. Hey, check us out next time for more adventure and another great legend of the Hidden Temple. What will we do till then? Chill for a couple. We'll be back. You're on, Nick. And it was time for the superhero to move on. I declare this meeting of the Midnight Society closed. Bye-bye. Nature's ingenious. 
but not one of her creations is perfect. The mosquito. Do you like mosquitoes, my dear? No? Strange that so many people find them repulsive. To me, they're magnificent things. Beautiful. You might even say, I'm in love 